in Q4 2020, Amazon's Fire TV was king of all connected TV device sales. How does arch rival Roku fare? And we review three ways a CTV platform influences what we watch and why we may not even notice. Listen on to find out more. this week's edition of the Video News End Screen Media Podcast. This is Will Richmond from Video News, and Colin Dixon is with me as always. Hey there, Colin. How's everything? I'm doing great, Will. I'm keeping trying to keep up with all the news in our industry today. I, did you see the story about ESPN and NHL? Boy, this is a big deal for Disney. That Apparently, they paid its... Not confirmed, but they paid two billion to two and a half billion dollars for the rights to NHL matches, uh, games, and and the Stanley Cup final on ABC. Uh, and I think I think there's going to be like a hundred exclusive regular season games on ESPN, and they're throwing some of the games onto uh, ESPN Plus or Hulu. So you're going to have to be a member of that if you want, or one of those, if you want to watch all of the NHL games. This was a really big story, right? Yeah, I think that's the, going to be the strategy for all sports is some is going to be on, some of the games will be on cable and broadcast and some are going to be on streaming. Yeah, split split those rights and exact as much money out of the fans as possible. Yeah, and uh, Disney was also in the news this week with um, new with the announcement that they have exceeded 100 million subscribers now on Disney Plus just 16 months after launching. So that was big news out of Disney, huge um, success of Disney Plus there, right? Yeah, that's that really is pretty amazing. I actually saw some some data estimating that about that there was about a 60-40 split. So that would put 40 million something like 40 million US subscribers into that service, which Boy, that puts them almost eclipsing our friends at uh, Fire TV, uh, excuse me, of Amazon Prime Video, right? Mm-hmm, right. And, uh, and those are just a couple of things that were happening this week, but those are actually not our topics of this week's podcast. We have a couple of other things that we wanted to delve into. We certainly do. And as you know, uh, as our listeners will know, Connected TV is very definitely at the forefront of our mind. And there was some new data about connected TV devices this week, wasn't there? There was, and I was following that this week, Colin. Uh, Strategy Analytics reported out that a record 109.1 million connected TV devices were sold globally in Q4 of 2020. And connected TV devices are defined as smart TVs, streaming sticks and boxes, and game consoles, and that was a record. That was up 9% from the 100.3 million connected TV devices that were sold in Q419, and it was actually up 34% from the 81.5 million CTV devices that were sold in Q3 of 2020. So it was a big, um, it was a big quarter, and actually Strategy Analytics said that Amazon for the first time had the lead in market share, 12.1% market share, and it just edged out Samsung, which dropped to number two, still with a 10.9% market share. And following Samsung were Sony with 8.2%, Nintendo with 7.7%, LG with 5.9%, and Roku 
with 5.8%. So um, again, those are global numbers that spans uh, that span smart TVs, streaming sticks and boxes, and game consoles. Those are the numbers for Q4. And Strategy Analytics also released a little bit of data on the full year of 2020. And it said that global CTV device sales reached a record 305.3 million units, up 7.6% from 2019. So a big year for sales of connected TV devices. Uh, Strategy Analytics said that, of course, no doubt that COVID stay-at-home guidelines were a big catalyst for sales of devices. And it sees further growth ahead in 2021 with viewers continuing to move to streaming TV services and away from traditional pay TV and employing their streaming, their connected TV devices to access all that great content. Yeah, I suppose it shouldn't really be a surprise to us, Will, right? We've seen such strong growth in streaming in 2020 because of uh, the stay, all the stay-at-home orders and just people spending a lot more time in their home. So I guess it's no real big surprise that we've seen a big increase in the number of sales of connected TV devices. And the interesting thing here, it's a global number and it really illustrates that this is a global phenomenon. It's not just here in the States. I've been keeping track of what's going on in Europe and CTV sales, CTV device and smart TV device sales in Europe are really strong as well. Actually, uh, in Europe, smart TVs are a little bit more important than the connected TV devices. Uh, and, and that's really all regions now are seeing big increases in the sale of the devices. Um, the interesting thing is that this is a global number. And so, as you mentioned, Roku comes in a, you know, way at the back there at 5.8%. That is not definitely the situation in the US. Last data I looked at, Will, sort of suggested that in streaming sticks and boxes, Fire TV and Roku are about even in sales and in penetration uh, in, in the US right now. But of course, because Roku now is in so many smart TVs, they've been so successful in being the power behind TCL and Hisense and several other smart TV vendor TVs, uh, they actually have um, they actually have the biggest share, I think, of of connected TV devices in the U.S. So uh, big growth, uh, big growth for Roku, big growth for pretty much all of the vendors in this category. And I think I saw some data that's basically suggesting that just about every single uh, TV sold these days, particularly in the US and in European markets, is smart. So, right. yeah, rolled out of smart TVs is growing really, really fast. That makes sense. And one beneficiary of all these connected TV viewers was YouTube, which also announced this week that more than 120 million US viewers streamed YouTube or YouTube TV on a connected TV in December of 2020, and that was actually up about 20% from the 100 million per month that YouTube last revealed back in June of 2020. So in six months, basically the CTV viewership increased by about uh, 20% or so. And they also quoted Comscore data that said that 41% of all ad-supported streaming watch time um, occurs on YouTube uh, for CTV. So that would make YouTube by, really by far the biggest 
CTV player, and uh, I'm guessing that we are going to hear plenty about YouTube's activity on connected TVs at their Brandcast Newfront presentation. That's going to happen in early May. And I think actually a theme across all the Newfront presentations are going to be how advertisers can get incremental reach to younger viewers by advertising on streaming services that are consumed on connected TV because that's where younger audiences are now going. Right. And, you know, this is really interesting, Will, because if you look at what's going on with the Fast and AVOD services outside of YouTube, we really seem to have a couple of sort of two parallel ecosystems developing here. You've got ones that are sort of semi-built into devices like Samsung TV Plus and the Roku channel into Roku interfaces. And you're, you're seeing YouTube TV, which does come built into some devices. Android TV, of course, is putting YouTube, um, YouTube first forward in their interface. Um, I know it certainly gets a lot of airtime in our home because we have a couple of Android TV devices. But we really seem to be seeing like two separate sets of ecosystems developing here. One is YouTube, which of course is the big dog and is now so important in connected TV. And we also have the built-in uh, built-in channels that we're seeing from device makers. So, uh, you know, this, this great growth we're seeing in both camps, I think is really healthy for consumers. Lots of choice and uh, lots of way to, to watch great content, advertising supported on the television. And that was something that you actually wrote about this week, uh, Colin. You um, wrote a piece, three ways that your CTV platform is influencing what you watch. And you just started to touch on some of your thoughts, uh, what you just said, but maybe you could expand on those. Yeah, sure. Um, so one of the things that I think gets lost a lot in the conversations about CTV platforms and who's got what share and, uh, and whatnot is the influence that these guys have over what we watch. And this was sort of brought home to me this week, Will, because I, there was a couple of announcements and there were fairly benign announcements. One of them was that Amazon's free ad-supported streaming service, IMDb TV, is now available on TiVo Stream 4K, NVIDIA Shield, PlayStation 4, and LG Smart TVs. Another one was that Voodoo said on Tuesday that its app is now available on Fire TV devices, including the sticks, boxes, and smart TVs. And, and it reminded me as well that NBCU's Peacock is still... After, what, nine months, it's still not available on Fire TV devices, um, which, which is pretty surprising, although I think Brian Roberts said this week that that could change fairly soon. And what really struck me was the fairly obvious downside here for consumers, right? Because you go out, you buy what you consider to be a mainstream device, like a Fire TV or a Roku, you come home, you plug the thing in, and then suddenly you find... Oh, well, where's, where's, where's Peacock on this? I wanted to watch Peacock, or, or as, as I found with several of them, where's BritBox? That's one of my favorite, favorite channels, favorite apps. And it's, it's actually very, very hard for consumers to figure out if their favorite service is available on a platform. Sure, you know, they've got the Netflix, they've all got the Netflix and they've all got the Amazon TV, Amazon Prime TV is available on pretty much all of them and Hulu's there too. 
But one of the things that's really happened in the last, what, um, year or so is that people have really begun to broaden out the SVOD subscriptions and the AVOD services that they're using. They're now starting to use smaller services that cater more, cl more closely to uh, their particular interests. And so what that's doing is it's really highlighting the fact that you can't get everything that you want from every single platform that you might go out and buy. And it, it's, uh, it's a real problem. Have you run into this? Uh, I've run into it periodically. I, um, I mean, I find that a lot of my viewership is actually on the major SVOD services that you just mentioned and some of the AVOD services. Uh, I spend some time in the Roku channel. So it's not been as big an issue for me, but I completely understand what you're saying. And I could certainly see all the Amazon Fire TV users, as you mentioned, who might be looking to access Peacock as noticing that absence pretty pretty readily. Right. Um, and so my, my second big way that I, I think it's worth talking about that the CTV platform really influences what you can watch on, on that platform is that sometimes that TV experience can really be confusing. And, you know, the, this happens in some pretty obvious ways. Um, but there are also some, some quite subtle ways. So I was actually thinking about what, one of the things that came up on one of the panels I was moderating, um, uh, I think it was the Stream TV panel, was that a lot of older and less streaming savvy consumers now are beginning to come to streaming and starting to buy connected TV and connected TV devices. And it's actually very confusing to them how to find things. So one of the great things is it's, it's great to be able to come in and find a guide, right? Because everybody knows the guide. Everybody knows what a grid guide does. There's plenty of content now available in, in channels, in virtual channels and in regular channels. But boy, which platform you buy is really significant here. Because let's say you buy um, an Android TV platform. There really isn't a built-in guide to Android TV that will, that will allow you to easily get into streaming. You, sure, they've got the apps that have those, like they've got Pluto TV, but there isn't one sort of built-in that you can just press the guide button and off you go. Um, uh, it's the same with Roku, actually. With Roku, there isn't a guide directly built in. You have to go to the Roku channel first, and then you can look at the guide there and see the, see the linear channels. Um, right. So that, that's actually pretty confusing. And, and, and if you are uh, just getting into streaming, there are some great solutions like TiVo 4K Stream. Um, if you are in a low-cast area and you're nominally uh, donating because you want to donate otherwise you get their annoying ads every 15 minutes um, and you are happy with sling which is by the way very you know this would be a very economical approach you get a great guide there's a guide button right there on the remote so it's very very easy to navigate and find stuff to watch and so once again that this this aspect the usability of these um, these platforms is absolutely key, right? And many of them for the more savvy user are pretty easy to use. We've got used to using them, although there are still limitations. But for newer users, boy, which platform you choose really influences very heavily how quickly you can get on and find stuff to watch. 
Right. This is an emerging area of discovery that you and I have talked about before, this idea of the traditional grid guides showing up. And we see them, as you say, within certain services. So uh, it could be you know, within the Roku channel or other services. But there isn't necessarily one at the you know kind of top level of the device navigation. And my sense, Colin, is that you know for some people that's just fine. They're not necessarily looking for a grid guide. That's um, you know a little bit of a legacy type of approach to finding something you want to watch. It's again, of course, more linear oriented because it's organized by time and channel. It's not the on-demand paradigm where a user kind of knows what they're looking for and punches that into search or they um, you know may be exposed to something on a home screen or a recommendation something like that so it's it's really kind of two different ways of trying to navigate your way into programming um, and i i hesitate to say that there's an age breakdown of how people uh, may but i think there probably is a little bit to some extent a generational divide between those that may be looking for more of a grid guide format versus those that are, you know, ready to kind of dive in on their own. Right. I, I mean, I totally get that, Will. And I, I can tell you, though, for I, I consider myself very, very savvy. Um, I've got to tell you, being able to get into a single guide on a Saturday morning and watch get to my soccer is pretty important to me. And, and using that grid guide and just flipping to the sports view is a really yep. quick quick way into into finding that but there's one third area that i want to talk about and this area is really insidious this is an area where you simply may not know how influenced you are in where you get your content and what content is available and this is the area of search and recommendations Uh, and this really stems from the issue that each of these platforms, each of these major platforms have a particular set of content that they are going to favor. So on Android TV, as I mentioned, YouTube TV, YouTube is very front and center with that. And in their recommendations, you tend to find a lot of YouTube videos, um, which actually stems from your viewing on your smartphone as well. Uh, but but it goes you know it goes much further than that in in other other services and I want to highlight one that is really hard to put your finger on uh, and that's where you do a search where you're looking for something in particular and what you're offered where you're and where you're offered to work to watch it can be really really influential so. Um, I, I mentioned earlier that I'm 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 a Brickbox guy. I like that I like that service, and they've got lots of new stuff on it. And I noticed that they released a new season of this show called The Mallorca Files, which is a, an original that they produced specifically for this service. And what I did was I, I jumped on my Fire TV Cube, and first thing I did was try to use Alexa, and Alexa couldn't find it. Maybe it's my accent. I don't know, but you know they couldn't find it. So anyway, I typed it in in a text search, and it did find it. Then, um, oh, and I should pre- preface this with: I have subscribed and loaded the BritBox app onto the Fire TV Cube. So I have that app. I'm signed into it. It's right there on the Fire TV Cube. So I'm when I'm doing this global search. Here it comes back with options for me to watch the Mallorca files. The first option is a seven-day free trial for BritBox 
inside of Amazon channels, right? I've subscribed outside of Amazon channels, but that's my first option. My second option is to buy a single episode for $2.99, to buy a season for $24.99, and, and there were other options. Nowhere in there is the option for me to simply click and watch inside of the BritBox app on Fire TV. And I've got to tell you, I, I, I spoke to um, BritBox a year or so about this. This situation's been there for quite a while. And this really is confusing to customers. People who have signed up for BritBox separately have ended up signing up again because they got confused when they did a search for a show that they wanted to see. So they ended up paying twice, once inside Amazon channels and once uh, for, for BritBox directly. And I gotta tell you, the way we are not party to know how people organize the, re the results from their searches. And one of the things I think you can be sure is that each, each platform is going to favor their own services in some way. So I, I think this is a very insidious part of the experience that fundamentally uh, affects us in the, way, in the way that we watch and what we watch, that we simply have no way of judging. Well, I guess I would just say welcome to the wild west of connected TV in 2021. And the idea that Amazon doesn't know, your Firecube did not know somehow that you were already subscribing to BritBox and therefore direct you directly uh, to the app when you did a search for a show that's on the app is, um, you know, that's uh, that doesn't speak well. It, it doesn't. It's, <laughs> I, it's also, I was kind of annoyed that, that Alexa couldn't even find it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Especially if Alexa is listening to a British, someone with a British accent asking for a show on BritBox, you, the There's, least she could do is recognize that, right? <laughs> yeah, that's a, Spanish, that's a Spanish word. Nothing can go wrong there, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, but, you know, Colin, I don't I don't know that there's anything more to it than it being a Wild West kind of situation. Uh, it's, you know, I don't know. Are you uh, would you suggest that Amazon, you know, is purposely uh, excluding BritBox there because they don't have a deal with BritBox? Or do you think there's something, you know, more proactively going on? I actually don't. I don't. Rest? Well, so I wouldn't I, I wouldn't say that in the, the the issue with it not finding the Mallorca files inside of the BritBox app. It could just be that BritBox has not yet done the integration with the unified yeah. search on side of yeah. the, on, on yeah. the Amazon platform. Um, yeah. But but that said, we shouldn't be blaming uh, BritBox either because think about the, 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 the situation for them. They're on Roku, they're on Fire TV, they're probably on other platforms as well. Each of those require separate integration and require continuous maintenance and require uh, a, a, almost a separate workflow for the metadata and, and you know, telling the services when they have new stuff available. This is very complicated, expensive for them to do, and I, I totally sympathize with the problems that they have in keeping up. Uh, and so, since they can't keep up, guess what? I get offered something yeah. that Amazon would want me to have when I look for that. 
Yeah, I would say, without knowing the details of how complicated the integration or the passing of data is, I would say that you know any channel like BritBox that wants to be available um, on a platform, in this case the Fire TV, should be availing themselves of you know supporting that as much as they can and. You know, the end result is that you as the viewer had a frustrating experience, which you didn't necessarily need to have if, uh, you know, if the data had been passed properly. So, um, you know, again, who knows how difficult or easy Amazon makes that with Fire TV, but it does seem like it's table stakes to be able to expose your, you know, your full range of updated programming to, um, you know, to your, to the, to the, to your own subscribers on that platform. That's just a difficult situation I think we're all going to have to deal yeah. with. Uh, first, I'd also call it a first world problem with all due respect. <laughs> <laughs> You're probably right. So, uh, but I think we are actually out of time this week, Colin. So you'll have to save any other burning user experience issues for our next podcast. I will be happy to do that and I'm sure I'll have plenty. And I'll bring one as well. All right, Colin, good chatting. And thanks, everybody, for listening on, in on this week's edition of the Video News End Screen Media Podcast. And we'll see you all again next week.